You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Man, y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Good worship so far. Amen. Man, so yeah. We can give God a hand. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, if you have your Bible, hope you do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you turn in there, man, I've missed being with you guys. I've enjoyed filling in the worship center the past few weeks, but I know that um, Tony and Austin and Cole have done a great job and appreciate them filling in and here, but excited to be back with y'all in the venue. And again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let me tell you what we're doing this morning. Next week, Pastor David will be back and we're going to be... Uh, We'll start back in the book series. We're gonna be in Titus and Philemon next week. But with this week kind of being a standalone sermon, it gives me the opportunity to talk a little bit about where so many of our ministries are going this year. Really what I would say, like what, what as a church, hopefully all of, us, all of us are on board for going this direction. And so I'm not gonna tell you what that direction is yet. I want you to see that the text is gonna kind of shoot us on a trajectory and push us in the right direction. But we're gonna get there, I promise. So let me pray for us and then we're gonna begin to talk about what God has for us this morning. If you would bow with me. Jesus, it is good to be with your people. It's good to be in your house. And God, we're grateful for the opportunity to worship, to fix our eyes on you, to gaze at you. Lord, even to maybe remind our hearts that you are better than anything this world has to offer. Lord, thank you that you have chased us when we've been prone to wander. And God, would you, with your word, just stir our hearts for you this morning? Would you make us more like yourself and turn us into the people that you want us to be? You, with your, your head still bowed and eyes still closed, would you just take a minute to, to ask God to speak to you this morning, to do whatever he needs to do in your life? God, we love you. We're grateful for your word. It's your name we pray, amen. You know, as believers, we often have this kind of Christianese language, meaning we, we say things that are, are common in the church that maybe the other people would not be as familiar with. And sometimes we know what these things mean and sometimes we don't. A few mornings ago, my wife and I were sitting down at the breakfast table with our little girl who's three years old and she sneezed and my wife said, bless you. And Carolina Tate said, whew, I have been blessing a lot lately. <laughs> and we just, we just kind of let it go, but she does not quite understand what that means, which I'm not sure what we mean when we say bless you anyways when people sneeze. But there's all these different terms. Like for example, maybe uh, among guys in a younger generation, you might say bounce your eyes, meaning like <laughs> don't stare at this girl if she's wearing something she shouldn't be wearing. Or uh, people say guard your heart, right? Guard your heart, man, guard your heart. Or something that I think has to sound weird to those who aren't familiar with Christian, uh, Christianese is when people say, I just, I just sense this stirring. I feel this stirring. And you want to be like, are, are you gassy? Like, like, what's, like what, what's going on there? What do you mean you have this stirring? Which we, often we mean the Holy Spirit's working in our life. But we have these different phrases that we, we're not always sure what they mean. We just kind of say them. Would you agree with that? I think one of those is live for Jesus. We say, I'm going to live for Jesus. I want to live for him. And I would tell you that that's a great statement. It's actually a biblical 
statement. This is not our main text, but just to, to prove to you it's a biblical statement. Look at chapter five, verse 14. Again, this is 2 Corinthians. He says, for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So to say, I wanna live for Jesus, that's a biblical idea. That's not just churchianity, Christianese, blah, speak. That's, that's a real phrase that's biblical, to live for Jesus. And don't miss this. We live for Jesus not so he can love us, we live for Jesus because he's already loved us. Do you see that in the text? He, he died for us, so because of that, in light of that, as a result of that, we want to live for him. Not to earn something, he already loves us. I think still the question remains though, what does it mean to live for Jesus? Like I think uh, growing up in a, a Christian household and maybe more importantly, um, in a Christian culture, so to speak, I think often, unfortunately, Unfortunately, when we talked about live for Jesus, we really meant the things that you don't do. Anybody you know what I'm talking about? So it was often this like, well, if you're a Christian, you don't drink, you don't do drugs, and you don't go with girls who do, right? Like you, you stay away from that stuff, which as a Christian, you, you shouldn't get drunk. You shouldn't do drugs and, or go with girls who do. Like, but if that's all Christian, Christianity is, if it's just a list of things you don't do, why would any of us sign up for that, right? Like, how, how lame is that? How much of a rule follower do you have to be? Why'd you become a Christian? Well, I just appreciate a good set of role, rules of things not to do. Like, like, what does it mean to live for Jesus? How do we live for Jesus, not just talk about it. How do we actually do it? Paul's gonna tell us out of flowing out of this idea of we don't live for ourselves, we live for Christ because he died for us. He's gonna tell us and he's gonna give us two main ways. We're gonna see in verses 16 to 21, two main ways of how we live for Jesus. And good news, it's not a two list rule of what not to do. It's what to do. Verse 16, from now on then, because we live for Christ, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and, and see, look, behold, the new has come. The first way we live for Christ, the first way we live for Jesus is we live for Jesus by relating to people through the Jesus lens. We live for Jesus by relating to people through the Jesus lens. I'm gonna explain what I mean by the Jesus lens. We relate to people through the Jesus lens. What he says in verse 16 says, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. He doesn't mean we don't know, like I don't know anybody. No, he means we don't regard, I think the ESV says regard. We don't regard anyone, we don't relate to anyone, we don't view anyone through a worldly perspective. So what it means is we don't have a relationship with people that's centered around worldly ideas. He says a worldly perspective. So 
the first thing that should be on our hearts and minds when we meet somebody, we have a friendship or relationship with somebody is what is their relationship with Christ? Are they, are they a Christian or are they not a Christian? Or are they, are they uh, struggling in their faith? We regard them not with a worldly perspective, but to their relationship with Christ. And then he, he kind of unpacks this idea. He says, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. So he's saying, Paul's saying, many of the Corinthian believers, including Paul, uh, many of them looked at Jesus when they first heard about him and saw him as a poor, broke Jewish carpenter who was a failure. Like he, he got a following, but he was a failure. If you, if you got crucified at age 33, like it, it, you didn't create this massive institution, at least at that point he hadn't yet. So they looked at him and saw, it's just a, a failure. Paul says, but you know what? We don't look at Jesus that way anymore. We see him as the risen reigning son of God. That's who he's referring to. So he's saying, we, we no longer regard Christ just for what we could see with our outward eyes. We actually know who he is now. And then he unpacks that a little more. He says, therefore, verse 17, famous verse, therefore, if anyone, anybody, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And look, the new has come. So the old, so uh, spiritual death, being cut off from God, being enslaved to our sins. If you're in Christ, praise God, those things have passed away, amen? And the new has come, meaning you, if you're in Christ, you have a relationship with God. You have spiritual life and you're not enslaved to your, sin, you're not enslaved to your sins anymore. So he says, we view people, we relate to people, we, we know them through or based on whether or not they have a relationship with Christ. It's, it's this Jesus lens. This is hard. I don't know about you, but when I, when I meet somebody, go into a restaurant, to a store, or you're going into class, or you're going into work, or you go to a family reunion, or whatever it may be, or, or maybe you're catching up with an old buddy, my natural inclination is not to regard them and, and, and think about them and, and view them in relation to their relationship with Christ. Anybody else with me? We, we have so many other lenses, if that's a word, we like to, to put on. So, and some of us have our default lens. So some of you, um, some of us, our, our default lens is immediately we're gonna base their worth on what they're wearing. Or maybe you have the lens of success. So you're trying to gauge how successful they are in life. Or maybe you have the lens of based on where they're working, you just assume they're a nobody so you, you don't really engage with them. Or maybe you have the lens that assesses what kind of vibe they're, put, they're, they're going for, right? So like, are they going for uh, the hipster vibe? Are they going for the, the casual business vibe? Are they going for the senior adult vibe? I guess that's a vibe you could try for, I don't know. <laughs> like, what, what is their vibe they're going for? And you, you kind of assess their worth, you kind of judge them based on just what you see. Or maybe you, you have the lens of, you kind of size people up by whether or not they're educated. You're not asking them if they have a degree, but you're, you're judging based on the way they talk, whether they're educated or not. Or 
I know this, this doesn't happen at all today. Like maybe you're assessing people by whether or not they're vaccinated. What? Nervous, nervous laughter. <laughs> we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. That's what that's Paul's saying. Because of Christ, and we wanna live for him. When we, when we view people, we engage with people, the lens through which we see them is not a worldly one, but do they know Christ? Man, I have some growth to do in this. And I'm gonna assume that you do too. It means to walk into a restaurant and actually I slow down enough to see people and, and even consider, or even maybe get their name and maybe consider whether or not they know Christ. And, and maybe as you're sitting down, you, you, you pray for them because you care about whether or not they know Christ. Or in, in your classroom, it's not just the, the people who sit beside you and they're annoying, but maybe you begin to relate to them and think about them and wonder, Man, do they know Christ? And if they do know Christ, how can I encourage them? And if, and if they don't know Christ, how can I introduce them to Christ? Or that old family member, Uncle Joe, I don't have an Uncle Joe, so that's a safe, like uh, Uncle Joe, who you think is just crazy, rather than just thinking he's crazy, you actually begin to view him through this, man, what if God wanted to work in his life? We live for Jesus not just by not what we don't do, or by what we don't do. We live for him by relating to people, knowing people, regarding people through the Jesus lens. Now, some of you are like me and you say, I, I don't know if I can do that. Like that's, that's hard. It's hard to, to intentionally and proactively when I go somewhere and meet someone or catch up with an old friend to take off a certain set of lens and see them through the Jesus lens. I'll tell you, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you begin to see the world the way he sees it. My wife and I got to go on a, a long walk the other night and, and it's funny, the more we spend time together, I, I begin to think like she does and she thinks like I do. You spend time with Jesus, you'll begin to think and see people like he sees them. Some of you may say, isn't that treating people like a project to just, to just see them through a Jesus lens? I appreciate your heart in asking that. Like, I think that's a good, if you're like, man, I don't wanna treat people like they're a project, they really matter. I, I appreciate that. But realize we care about all the things. We care about everything. We wanna get to know people, but we also don't wanna forget about what matters most. And that is, do they know Jesus? People aren't projects. We wanna, we wanna get to know, we wanna know their story. We wanna, we need to care about what they care about, but we also need to care about what Jesus cares about and he cares about saving them. We live for Jesus by relating to people through the Jesus lens. But if we stop there, it may feel like that's just kind of a way that we see people, it's not real action oriented. Well, good news, we got some more action. Jump in to verse 18. We'll see our second truth here in a second. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we 
are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, what an incredible passage. Go and give you the second thing we see about what it means to live for Jesus. We live for Jesus, drum roll, by being his ambassadors. We live for Jesus by being his ambassadors. You responded to that like I thought you would, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> or if you know what it means, it feels like, nah, I ain't no ambassador. Like, this is awesome. The scripture says, we, if you know Christ, you've been saved by grace through faith, you are an ambassador. So let's unpack this. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is really simply a messenger who represents a higher authority. A messenger who represents a higher authority. So this is like, this is good practice Bible reading, okay? Not, no tricks here. Who, who's the higher authority representing according to verse 20? I, it's like, this, come on, Sunday school answer, bro. This is it. Christ, yeah. We get to be ambassadors for Christ. We represent the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the sustainer and maker of the universe. I don't know about y'all, but I'm an ambassador. This should put a little pep in your step that you, if you know Christ, you are, whether you have realized it or not, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are to represent him in your actions and in your words. An ambassador, he says, we're an ambassador for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Now, what, what a responsibility, what a privilege that God through you is sending the message, encouraging people to come to Christ. How does God reach people? Through you, through his ambassadors. It says, we plead. So what's our message that we are carrying as messengers? We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we go as ambassadors, messengers representing Christ, and we plead that others would be reconciled to God. What does it mean to be reconciled? It's a term, it's an amazing term, uh, one of the most relational terms regarding salvation. And it's this idea of a broken relationship being mended. So our message as ambassadors is to go to the world and tell them, be reconciled to God. Does that include telling people they're sinners? Sure, but isn't this so cool? A lot of times we think of sharing the gospel and we're like, well, I gotta go out here and slap people with the Bible and tell them they're all going to hell, which like, if they don't know Christ, they are going to hell. Like, just no, let's not joke about it or like miss that. But what a cool emphasis that the emphasis is coming to a relationship with God. What a privilege to go and say, be reconciled to God. And I love in verse 21, he kind of unpacks how it is we can be reconciled. He says, he made the one who did not know sin. Let's try this again. And who was that? Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Man, this is the gospel in a nutshell. This, this is beautiful. 
that Jesus took on my sin at the cross, my punishment, so that I can receive his grace and mercy. He places on me his righteousness, so now God views me and treats me as though I've lived the life of Jesus. And just what, little secret, I haven't. Neither have you. But God, by his grace, saves me through what theologians call the great exchange. That he gets my mess and I get his mercy. It's what Isaiah 53 talks about, that Jesus received punishment, a beating, and we receive peace. We are the ones that have run away and run from God, but Jesus took that beating, that punishment, so we can be near to God. I love what Martin Luther said about this verse. He said, you took on what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. And that's the gospel. So our message as ambassadors is, is be reconciled to God, come to God. And how can you do that? Because Christ paid the penalty for your sin. You don't have to carry that weight and that shame and that guilt anymore. Christ carried it for you. That's a good message to get to carry. Now, if we stopped there, it would maybe feel a little um, just like, we just gotta go preach, which that's kind of what he's saying. But don't miss this relational aspect. Go back up to verse 18. He's gonna give us kind of the, the heartbeat behind this idea of being ambassadors. <clears throat> he says that everything is from God. He's talking about salvation. So all the grace, mercy we receive, it's from God. Who has reconciled us, again, brought us back into relationship to himself through, what's it say? Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Man, what a beautiful picture. He's saying, remember you were reconciled to Christ. So you once were not part of the family of God and now he's brought you into part of the family of God. You once were an alien, meaning you were cast away, a stranger to God. And he's brought you close through the blood of Christ. And now what you've experienced through God's grace, he calls you to go and extend to others the ministry of reconciliation. Some of you, you're like, man, I just, I just work. I don't have a ministry. Eh, you have a ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. Every single one of us, this responsibility of being an ambassador who carries the message of reconciliation. And he unpacks it more in verse 19. He says, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So again, he's hammering this gospel. He's not counted your trespasses against you. And now he wants you to carry this message of reconciliation as an ambassador to others. So again, the emphasis is relationship. You've been reconciled. You've been brought into a relationship with Christ. And now you are to extend that relationship to others. It doesn't stop with you and like, got my relationship, now I'm chilling. No, you receive it and then you take the relationship to others. I love this, the word trespasses. He does not count their trespasses against them. What a, again, just beautiful statement of the gospel. But trespasses, that, that imagery there in the Greek is uh, to take a misstep where you get on loose footing. So if you should be walking correctly and solidly and then you, you take a misstep and your foot slips on loose footing. Sometimes our trespasses are this in our sinful flesh, maybe not this willful, you knew you were gonna do it, 
But just this like, you just misstep, next thing you know, you're like, why did I say that? Or why did I look at that? Or why did I think that? What, is, what am I doing? It's this misstep that, that is called sin. Even though you, it wasn't this like, breaks and I'm gonna go do it. It's still sin because it originated in your heart. The scripture says, this is beautiful. He doesn't count those against you if you're in Christ. Jesus is not up at the whiteboard. Students have just started back to school. He's not up at the whiteboard going, Hmm, I see you failed again. Wrong. What's that stupid Jesus video? The, uh, oh, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that rock. <laughs> Wrong. Like, that's not how he is. It's not that he can't see, he knows what you do, but he doesn't count it against you if you're in Christ. He's forgiven you. And he also, when you, sometimes when you, it's not just that we missed that. Sometimes we know straight up what we're doing. We're like, is God looking? He's always looking. Is he looking? And we go and do whatever terrible, sinful thing. And it says, if you're in Christ, he doesn't count that against you because Jesus, it was counted against him on the cross. We get to take that message to the world. The message of reconciliation. We're his ambassadors. One more time. Who reconciles us? Who does the work? It is Christ, it's Jesus. Okay, it's not you, it's not me. That's really good news. One, because the pressure is not on you, you will be saved. Like, take this serum and then, I'm sorry, getting weird. Like, just like, yeah, okay, I'll stop. What does that look like though? What does it look like to have the ministry of reconciliation? Jesus is the one that saves people. He, he actually does the reconciling. That, that, that would mean our job, as the ministry of reconciliation, that's the goal, uh, our part in it really is, is to introduce, right? Because he reconciles. So what does that look like? I remember my second year of college, I had this uh, really good friend who was my roommate, Boyd, and he uh, dated and eventually married this girl named Brittany, Boyd and Brittany Bettis. He's a pastor in Jacksonville now. And uh, I remember after becoming friends with them, Brittany began to tell me about this girl named Lauren. And my response was always like, Brittany, I, I'm good. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I got this. Okay, I got game. Like, leave me alone. Like, I don't need your help. And she would just say, okay, I'm just saying, like, I think you, Lauren would be great for you. And I would, okay, fine, whatever. Th- this went on for, for, for months. I, literally, eventually, like, went on for, for like a year and a half, probably of anytime she would see me talking to a girl or not really work out, she would say, you know, I'm just saying, there's this blonde-headed, blue-eyed girl named Lauren. And I would just, I would just write Brittany off, like, forget it. What I didn't know is, is on the other side, so three hours away, another part of Florida, Brittany was every now and then talking to Lauren about me. Now, she wasn't telling Lauren near as much as she was telling me, so it made it awkward when we met. I knew, like, Lauren's life story, and she was like, what's your, what's your name? Um, <laughs> Brittany didn't pester me, but she was persistent. <clears throat> Excuse me. She was very persistent. We, we finally, I finally agreed to go on a date. She, Brittany had talked so much. <clears throat> sorry, y'all. She talked so much about Lauren that finally I was like, I, it, let, I'll just give this a shot. 
So Brittany was so excited. And we, uh, the, Brittany and Boyd, they were married by that point. We went on a double date with Lauren. And pretty immediately, pretty, like, immediately I was like, maybe Brittany wasn't wrong. Like, she's pretty cool. <laughs> we, we began to talk and actually I had to, we met for a few days and then I was moving to South Carolina to work at a camp for the summer. And two weeks in, Brittany called me. And I knew why she was calling because I had this terrible habit of I would, in college if I would talk to girls. I mean, like, one girl at a time. <laughs> talk to a girl, the idea of like dating. And after about two weeks, I would often be like, nah, I'm just not feeling it. So at the two week mark, it was a Friday because we met on a Friday, two weeks in, Brittany called me and she was like, hey, I just happened to be two weeks from the time you met Lauren. I'm just curious, like how are things going? And when I told Brittany, I was like, you know what? I think I like her. Boy, he's still talking to her. He's still talking to her. She, could, she couldn't believe it. She, she celebrated and she just kept kind of encouraging. And about almost four years from that time, as Lauren and I got married, Boyd was standing over to my side as one of the grooms and Brittany was standing over to the side as one of Lauren's bridesmaids and they were celebrating our relationship. They had walked alongside us and they were, they were beaming. And still every now and then, every now and then, we hear from Boyd and Brittany, even though they're in Florida and we're out here in good old West Texas, which we love. And, and they'll, man, how, are you, how are you and Lauren doing? How can, how can we pray for you? How can we encourage you? Brittany was an ambassador for Lauren, wasn't she? She was not over there, Brandon, you will date her. You will like her. Like, no, I, I mean, that's the best way to run somebody off, right? Like for sure. No. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It's to introduce someone to Jesus and just, man, hey, you, I, I know you're busy and you got a lot going on, but Jesus is incredible. And, and like Cole mentioned last week in his sermon, let me tell you a little bit about my life before Christ and how I met him and now how he's changed me. You know what, you don't even have to do all that in one conversation. That could be over a course of time, but let me, just, let me tell you about Jesus. Don't be, don't be pushy, but be persistent. And then when they meet Jesus, you celebrate it. And then you're not done with them like, sweet, got them saved, on to the next person. No, you still walk with them and celebrate that they know Jesus. That's what it looks like to be an ambassador. Not be pushy, but be persistent. And you know what? There's a cool picture here that Brittany was an ambassador for Lauren. She was trying to tell me about Lauren. She often was telling Lauren about me. What a cool picture of we're ambassadors, but also behind the scenes, we're talking to Jesus, asking that he would save whoever it is we're talking to. We are ambassadors. What if I messed it up? What if it just goes bad? Sometimes it's gonna go bad, y'all. When you're an ambassador for Christ, people are gonna look at you like you're goofy. Or they may, they may just, as you're in mid-sentence, just walk away. <laughs> okay. September 3rd, it was Sunday, 1939. Henderson, uh, Ambassador Henderson, he was the uh, British ambassador to Germany. 1939, not a great time to be an ambassador in Germany. World War II, right? Okay. And the King of England had told Ambassador Henderson to go to Hitler's office and tell him if they did not, with, by 11 a.m., but that day began to withdraw their troops that Britain and Germany would be at war. So Henderson marched himself to Hitler's door 
Hitler would not see him. Henderson was probably grateful, if we're honest. Hitler would not see him. But Henderson still left a message. You tell the Fuhrer we have a message. Britain has a message. If he doesn't get his troops away from Poland by 11 a.m. today, if he doesn't start that process, we're gonna be at war. And he walked away. Did Henderson do his job as an ambassador? He did. He delivered the message. The Fuhrer did not want any of it, but Henderson delivered the message. You know what? Adolf Hitler wasn't just rejecting Henderson's simple message at the door. He was rejecting the King of England. And dadgummit, England and the US came after that fool, didn't we? It wasn't on Henderson. He was just the messenger. Y'all track with me? I need, to, I need to speed up a little bit. So I'm gonna trust you get what I'm saying. It's not on you to make sure, I wanna make sure they receive the message. You can't control that. Christ does that. You deliver the message and pray they do receive it, amen? You can't control how it goes. I, I love, think about this. Your identity is not found in their response. Your identity is found in who you represent. It's not like, oh, what are they gonna say? It doesn't matter. That's not where your worth is found. Your worth is found in who you represent. You represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And one day, every knee will bow, whether they like it or not. We are his ambassadors. I, I think sometimes we, we hesitate to be ambassadors because, oh, am I, am I doing it wrong? Am I gonna mess up? I would remind you, encourage you, don't obsess over telling someone about Christ just right, just obey. Don't obsess, obey. How many times have I talked myself out of sharing the love of Christ with somebody because I wanna do it just right, I don't wanna mess it up. And I think God's just like, would you just obey? Would you just do it? Like, you're not gonna do it perfect. Just go tell them about the love of Jesus. <clears throat> I started off, I told you, I was gonna let the text kind of point us where we're going this year and where a lot of our ministries are gonna be pushing us and challenging us as a church. Do you see in the text this push, this, if I could sum up, big idea, that living for Jesus is about loving the lost? You can say it this way. We live for Jesus by loving the lost. And we love the lost by sharing the love of Jesus. We're gonna put that on the screen so you guys can write that down. We live for Jesus by loving the lost and we love the lost by sharing the love of Jesus. See, living for Jesus is not just about what you don't know, it's about telling others about how much Christ loves them. This year, something we're gonna be pushing on is loving the lost. You know, I think as a church, man, this, this this is the best church on the planet. I love this church. We're not perfect. No one ever said that. This is an incredible church. Two of the things I love, I think that just, you couldn't argue, you couldn't convince me otherwise. If you disagreed, like we'll, we'll go to, to the rug over this because I, and you'll probably win, but that's okay. Like it's a physical battle. But anyways, I, I believe these things. This is a church that loves Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> this is a church that loves Jesus. There we go. Okay. This is a church that loves the Bible. Like I have no doubt. I think we have some room to grow, Brandon Hayes included, in loving the lost. Wouldn't it be cool, not just would it be cool, but wouldn't it be uh, honoring and glorifying to God if people said of South Crest, not just, man, they love Jesus, 
that's amazing. They love the Bible, that's amazing. But I tell you what, that church, they love telling other people about Jesus. Man, that church, if you go to that church, they're gonna challenge you to share your faith because they love the lost. May that be who we become. Not just because I think we should be, that's because what scripture lays out of what it means to be a Christ-centered, Jesus-loving church is to love the lost. Jesus spent his time with the lost. That's why he was always accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And he said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. It's they who need a doctor. When we love the lost, we're living not just for Jesus, we begin to live like Jesus. May we be a church that loves the lost. Y'all, on Sunday mornings, I'm very, very much like a round number here. We <clears throat> average about 2,500 people across the church. Includes little baby tots, but still about 2,500 people. Our challenge is that everyone will have one gospel conversation a month. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty doable, one per month. If we did that, just again, big round numbers, that would equate to about 30,000 gospel conversations. And you know what's crazy? There's about 300,000 people in Lubbock so even after one year, if we all did that, we still got some work, don't we? Our challenge is for Love the Lost is one gospel conversation per month. What is a gospel conversation? It's any conversation where you encourage someone to consider finding their greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. So it's not always sit down and give me about 45 minutes so I'll explain the Romans road to you, ready? Like, no, it's just, hey, I wanna encourage, maybe it's you ask the waitress or waiter if you can pray for them. And they're like, sure, and they stand right there. And in your prayer, you, you thank Jesus for his love and his forgiveness on the cross. And you pray that this waitress, whatever her name is, Samantha, that she would know and find joy in the love of Jesus. I'm not trying to be silly, but ding, ding, ding. That's a gospel conversation. You had a conversation where you encouraged Samantha to find her greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. And it's not, we're not doing some checklist. We're not trying to like keep, this massive number so we can get some kind of recognition, but we wanna challenge you to love the lost. Are y'all with me? Here's what I want us to do. Here's how we're gonna close. <clears throat> I want you to consider right now who might your one, by the way, you're not limited to one. It's not like you have one gospel conversation. You're like, well, can't have any more. Oh, you wanna hear about Christ? Wait till October, bro. Like, no. <laughs> You can have as many as you want. We're challenged at least one. I want you to consider and even pray right now, who might be your one for the month of September? But this doesn't have to be somebody you know. It could be, <clears throat> sorry y'all, it could be a stranger. It could be somebody you just meet today at wherever, the restaurant or Target or Walmart, whatever. But who is your one for September? I'm gonna challenge you on your phone or tablet or paper, whatever you've got, to write their name down. Who is your one for the month of September that you wanna encourage to consider finding their greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus? And we're gonna have just, that's the band to come on up actually. And as we sing this song, you may wanna sing and just celebrate the gospel which we just read about and how you've been reconciled to what Jesus has done. Or maybe, there's not, one's not better than the other, but maybe during this song, you wanna take your one, if you wrote it on your phone or on a note, notebook or something, maybe 
it would be helpful to bring it down to the altar and just and pray for that person. Go ahead and be an ambassador. Begin to talk to the Lord about whoever he placed on your heart. Or maybe you need to come to the altar or sit where you're at and just say, God, I don't know who the, my one could be for the month of September, but would you, would you open my eyes when I, when I encounter them? Would you open my eyes when I talk with them? Would you open my eyes when I meet them to be able to share the love of Christ? That I would be aware of what I need to say and do. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna respond. If you're watching online, and we'd love for you to connect with us there, shoot us a message. One more thing, if you're in the room and you've never been reconciled, there'll be some folks down front after I pray that would love to talk with you about what it means to come into a relationship with Christ if you're still kind of not sure what that looks like. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond as God leads. God, thank you so much for <clears throat> Jesus, for reconciliation. And Jesus, I pray that we would be a church, that we would become a church that loves the lost, that we are ambassadors, that we relate to people through the Jesus lens. Lord, that people would know that when they come to Southcrest, they're gonna be challenged to share their faith. They're gonna be challenged to be your ambassador. So God, right now, would you put people on our heart? Would you put people on our minds? Would you help us to respond boldly, God, and to be in tune with what your spirit is leading us to do? It's in your wonderful, powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 